Hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. It's excellent, excellent. I must say absolutely thrilling, absolutely fantastic, amazing and um, yeah. So I think that um, we're heading for interesting times guys because I was reading this article. I'm going to make sure that anytime I say that just to sound like the pretentious thought. I was reading an article in The Guardian and I actually was. Uh, so I don't know why I'm trying to exaggerate its import. But here's another thing, right? Um, a lot of these news websites which have an app, uh, um, like The Guardian, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, um, the ones which aren't owned by big people. I don't know who owns these things, but they have a subscription model and um, they encourage you to support independent reporting, independent media. And um, I want to find out from you guys because um, it's interesting to know how many people actually pay for the subscription versus reading the free news because some guys are really, really cock-blocky about it, right? Like they just give you a headlines on Twitter. When you click on the link, it's literally a pop-up window with subscribe to our newsletter, subscribe to these plans, and you can get uh, access to the full article. Then you have the other guys like the, the Medium and all these things that give you three articles a month or whatever. But uh, strangely, the, the Guardian app, uh, even though you... Um, I don't know what it is because I had the paid subscription and I think it's important to pay for uh, good reporting and good information on news. Uh, but they give you everything on the app and then they keep sending you these reminder screens which are like, why don't you pay and support independent journalism? I don't know what the subscription approach is because I feel Indians as uh, in general are just cheap bastards. We don't want to pay if we can get some way around it and um, kind of access even 10% of the news we're like oh, at least I got the summary but I didn't have to pay for it and um, that's sort of across the board right if we have one person who has Netflix in the family we all want the password and um, that's not really good because we uh, kind of are okay with just compromising and we're okay uh, with just getting a glimpse uh, and just telling me, ah, at least I didn't pay for it. And that reflects in our society. Uh, that's pretty much where we are. Uh, most people are just like, yeah, it's okay. You know, it's just at least I got access to, you know, 30 seconds of it. Which as a mindset is pretty fucked up because it's kind of saying, you know what, I don't want to commit and back this particular um, source with money that they are asking me to pay because they kind of ensure that they're giving me the best but i'll just take uh, a little bit and i'm not saying you or the person next to you i'm saying all of us as indians we have uh, this mindset that we're raised with but i think um, people are changing though there are people who are like you know what if i want quality i'm going to pay for it and 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 you see this across the board not just with subscribing to websites or newsletters or to podcasts or paying for subscriptions or whatever Maybe, but just generally, we are happy to pay um, when things sort of um, represent our status. Um, for example, a car or uh, even maybe a house or whatever, clothes. Uh, but 
if it's something that goes unnoticed and you're not recognized and validated for that spend, yeah, you kind of go free. Because uh, <laughs> no one is checking your credit card going, oh, this guy is really, really legit because he, he pays for the Wall Street Journal. He pays for the economic, uh, the, uh, what's that one called? Not ec yeah, economic Times or what's the Economist? Yeah, that's another big one. Or he has the garden. What a well-informed person. I like how he spends his money and he puts his money where his mouth is. Or is it the other way around? Puts his mouth where his money is. You shouldn't put your mouth where your money is. That's dirty. It's called an ATM slot. And a lot of hands go in and out. Eh, it's filthy. But it's a, it's it's an interesting um, place to be as a country where um, you kind of are willing to go into debt to pay for these big spends have these multiple EMIs coming in every month, uh, but where it actually um, comes to something that may make you more well-informed or might go into a, a sense of, I wouldn't say personal development, but just making you more intellectually aware, um, that's something that doesn't really matter. And again, none of the shit I say on this podcast is backed in research or any of those data i think this is just my opinion so if you get upset yeah go fuck yourself and um i'm not saying all indians are like this there are a changing group of indians who are willing to invest in them in their in their mind space in their intellect space in their emotional space and i think you know what big up to them man big up but a lot of the people who are being lured by you know the consumer wave think like this and that's why we have cheap shit every day uh we have like stuff under one rupee on amazon like what the fuck it costs less than one rupee i don't know um clearly dignity i think that's what costs less than one rupee yeah um but having said that i read this article that's why i started off i read this article on the guardian where um there are certain restaurants italian restaurants in the uk who are running out of options on their menu because they're not getting tomatoes uh, the price of fresh tomatoes canned tomatoes are going up and we know how the italians love the tomatoes on their women mm, i like my woman like i like my tomato like a nice juicy marinara mm. i that's an old uh, ancient italian proverb if you haven't heard it you heard it first here on the soapy rouse show but um they are struggling to make their rich, authentic, Italian-tasting sauces, is what the article continued to say. As a result, they are compromising, making, um, making do with fusion, using other ingredients like, um, like other vegetables, and they're using other cheeses. I don't know how you can replace a tomato with cheese. But these are um, really, really sort of high qualified and highly respected and highly acclaimed chefs in the UK. I'm sure we will never struggle with that because, you know, I've had pizzas in India which have cauliflower and peas on them and nothing like an authentic Iyengar bakery pizza where they put a base, they put ketchup and they dump some vegetables and put some amul cheese and it's fucking delicious. So, hey, there, you chef, chef, chef sitting in the... Intercontinental in London, I forget your name, but if you want, we always have a way around stuff. If we run out of tomatoes, fuck it, we'll just make do with ketchup. I know ketchup is made out of tomatoes, but it's ketchup is as much tomato as, you know, I don't want to say anything controversial about transgender, but I think ketchup is like tomato. Like, see, this is where the rustiness is coming out, but, um, it's like how I think 
you know, uh, an electric car is um, macho. Yeah, that was a horrible analogy, a horrible attempt at a joke. And um, I think it's essential to have a coping system where you kind of just, you know, find a quick turnaround and evade what the problem is and just say, yeah, you know, there are no tomatoes, fuck it, I'll eat, I'll eat stones, not, which would be that extreme. But um, there are flip sides to it. But I really think um, we, we'll be faced with decisions in the near future. Like right now, tomatoes are a shortage. It's not run out. But you sometimes see that onions are at like 100% markup. So I'm just thinking if there's a day soon, like where you have to give up a favorite vegetable or a favorite fruit or a favorite meat, uh, will you be able to do that? Like because... Um, now it's an option. Oh, give up eating beef because it's good for the environment. And also the, the, the factory farms are abusing these animals. They're being kept in inhumane conditions. Um, and they keep being slaughtered in very sort of cruel ways. And the milk industry, the factory, the, the factory farms, again, are, these are all options at this point. You can still say, you know what, my, my moral uh, compass says you can't do this. But what if your face like, oh, there's only one cow left or there's one farm with tomatoes left or there's one sack of rice left what are you going to do then i mean are we going to make that decision thinking about other human beings or are you just going to think about yourself and that would be i think a place where we will actually have to buckle up and figure out what it actually means to be human because right now it's all Hypothesis, uh, hypothesis. <laughs> clearly, hypothesis. Because if this happens, this might happen. Or if this results in this, I may have to do this. But the Italian chefs now are facing the tomato crisis. What crisis will you have to face to look within you and say, who am I? Yeah. Hey, anyway, um, yeah, a bit of a doomsday-ish kind of feel to this. But... Um, I've got someone on today's episode who decided to kind of minimize junk and stuff in her life before she had to be faced with that kind of doomsday situation. Uh, Rose Lounsbury, the author of Less Minimism. Minim yeah, clearly you really need to rehearse these intros. Um, Rose Lounsbury, she's the author of the book Less Minimalism for Real. Don't say words that you can't say. Minimalism for real. I can say it. Just having a bit of a slow moment. Um we talk about what led her to, to face the idea of decluttering, how she juggled her triplets and how she kind of just was faced with this decision where she realized that she doesn't need all the stuff in her life. But also what does decluttering mean? The mindset is it just taking stuff away, stuff out, giving away stuff is about buying less. It's about uh, decisions. You look at what is important, prioritizing. Is it also the mindset, how you approach life with, right? Is it the things that you um, consider important, the things that you consider as excess and a bunch of other things. So it's not just physically putting stuff in a box and giving it away to charity or to some relief fund. It's it's beyond that. I think it's about what you look at your life uh, with. It's how do you choose to fill it up? Do you just decide to distract yourself with more and more? Or do you kind of sit down one day and say, 
this is what I really think I want to put into my life and I really enjoyed it. So therefore, I will do that. Interesting conversation with um, with Rose. We had a lovely chat and I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to it. So I'm not going to ramble on about my doomsday predictions, but I'm going to let you guys um, get on with this conversation that I had with Rose. So Rose, if you're listening, appreciate you being on the podcast. And for all of you listening, as always, thank you. Till next episode, goodbye, God bless, take care of yourselves. Cheers. Rose Lumsbury, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. How are you this evening? I am doing wonderful. How are you, Sandeep? I'm doing uh, good. I'm doing actually very well. I, um, I'm very excited to talk to you about quite a few things uh, because change is something that is so um, feared. It's encouraged in certain aspects of life when it's about positive change, right? We talk about mm-hmm. people who are constantly encouraging you, motivating you to to become a better version of yourself. But they don't want to talk about the change that is inevitable, right? The change that happens when you can't hold on to the positive. So you're someone who's transformed a lot of stuff in your life and helped people do that these days. Um, Why? Okay. And since you also approach life from a very interesting point, which is the simple side of life, Mm -hmm. can I ask you why is simple seen as bad? Well, I think... It's not seen as bad by everyone, but I think in a consumer society, which we're living in, it doesn't really go with the flow of materialism. Mm. Uh, The simple life is actually really opposed to, you know, bigger, better, more. I mean, I'm here in the United States and it's all about more, the bigger car, the bigger house. And I, I do think, though, there is a pushback against that. But I think it's very strong in that, you know, you think, well, because I can, I should. Like, I live in a house that I could afford a bigger house. I could afford more clothes. I could afford a bigger, more expensive car. It's not that I can't, but I start to question, should I? And so I think some people would think of simple as bad. It's interesting, when I first started my work, I use the word minimalism a lot. Mm. I called myself a minimalist coach or a minimalist minded organizer. And what I found was that particular word minimalist or minimal, that really hit a negative chord with a lot of people. Because I think when we think of minimal, we think of deprivation, not having enough. Um, But I actually specifically started using the word simplicity to replace minimalism because simplicity seemed like something people could grab onto and they already appreciated it. Whereas minimalism, people felt threatened by it and they felt as if they weren't going to have enough. So I generally have found that simple or simplicity is more welcoming to people in theory, theory. (laughs) not necessarily in practice. You know, because I, um, live in a society where it, it almost feels like people want to make their lives more complex. Let me let me phrase that in the right mm-hmm. context, right? Um, when something, for instance, if a course, something as early on in school, if something is simple, 
uh, and I'm not talking about how we <laughs> politically incorrectly refer to people as simple, but that's another right. story for another day. But um, <laughs> when, when we look at something, whether it's it's a puzzle for a child and it's simple, we're like, no, it's too simple. Let's move on to a harder mm. one. Or the entrance exam is too simple. Let's. I think she could have done better in another school where the entrance exam yeah. was a little bit more um, more challenging. So we use... Um, the we, when things are simple we teach ourselves and our kids that that's not something to aspire towards yeah that you need to make yeah. it more challenging and you make it more complex you need to make and and i feel that's such a wrong message right because we're telling someone or including ourselves if life is simple enough where it's not and I don't mean simple in the sense. Um, I mean I don't know what I mean by simple. But when <laughs> if, <laughs> when when things are approachable, when things are accessible, when you can do something that comes more naturally to you, that's not good. You got to make it more complex. You got to yeah. add more to it. So that's what I find. That's why I asked you the word because we, if you do something that you're content with in our society, it's, and I'm talking about in an Indian context. Uh, we we say oh no no he he only works three hours a day he's he's not and I mean that's the translation mm -hmm. of what uh, your your potential is that you're seen as not an achiever um, yeah. but someone who's working ninety hour weeks um, and works at a particular job which is challenging and it's he, he's he's always on the road or she's always engaged her brain like why are we why are we so <laughs> I don't know I mean this is cross cultural right happens in Japan yeah, happens oh, in China yeah. yeah. And the U.S. too, yeah. And the U.S., yeah. And we, I don't know if yeah. you recently saw that person. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'll, we'll finish this conversation, this particular part, then I'll tell you about that incident. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I understand what you're asking a little more now. Mm -hmm. So it's this idea, you know, there's a difference in my in my mind between simple and easy. And what's interesting is those words, actually, if you looked up, you know, synonyms, you might mm -hmm. look up a synonym for simple and you would see easy and other words, but I find that they are not the same at all. Yeah. So something can be easy, but simplicity actually is not easy because mm. I think we are wired toward complexity. Yeah. And I don't know why. I'm not a neuroscientist and I don't study this deeply, mm. but I think that there is a desire and it is, you know, life always moves toward more life. You know, we want to grow, we want more. And I think that's actually natural. You know, you have a little baby and you're probably seeing the growth, the massive growth, and she's always learning more and doing more. And there's another thing today that she can do that she couldn't do last week. And we celebrate that, mm. right? We celebrate the more and we celebrate the growth. But also we have to realize as we grow into adulthood, that can tip into actually this thing that's really good, growing and learning and acquiring things and achieving things. These are all good things that there can be a tipping point where that actually becomes harmful. And I think that's the tricky thing is to find, because there's nothing wrong with getting a, a fantastic job and making lots of money and getting an excellent college degree and using your skills in the world. That's wonderful. I'm so yeah. glad people do this. But there comes a point where I think if we are just serving the more it, as an end in and of itself, that's when I think it becomes dangerous to us. Because at a certain point, 
Um, I once heard this quote, and I don't know who said this, but they said, you spend the first uh, two thirds of your life acquiring things and the last third of your life letting go of all of it. So I think there's a kind of a natural flow of life where where when we're young and we're growing and we're learning, we're, we're acquiring and we're doing and we're challenging. And then there comes a point where we kind of, I think it's the second half-ish of life, you start to crave simplicity because there's so much complexity that now is a part of your life. You know, you have not just you, but maybe you have a partner, maybe you have some kids, now you have a mortgage, you have a job and complexity just keeps happening. And so I think we start to crave simplicity and then we realize it's not easy to actually undo this. And I think it's, you know, maybe if we want to think of it in a sense of finding yourself, it is a bit of finding yourself, of returning to maybe an earlier-ish version of ourselves, but with the wisdom that we have from all the years of, yeah, we don't, do we need all those things? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting when, when I first, I I started doing stand-up when I was 28 and now, 13 years late, 27, 28. And early on, the idea was to use big ideas, big words to seem more intelligent on stage, right? Mm-hmm. And as you, as, as, and I noticed as I did more and more and I got a little older, I wouldn't say wiser, but older, the, the, the need to become more uh, understood was the, 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 the premise, right? You use smaller mm-hmm. words, you use, or rather you use smaller words to describe bigger concepts as opposed to bigger words yeah. with smaller concepts. And a thing you said is very evident in most societies, right? More in all aspects, whether it's the physical appearance of having more or even adding more, whether it's more degrees, more knowledge, more, yeah. more layers to your soul or your depth of humanity or whatever you want to lie to yourself by using those concepts. But um, <laughs> what happens, I feel, and this is something I've been, it's a recurring kind of theme in a lot of philosophy and in a lot of spiritual reading, is um, the attachment then a lot of that we yeah. attach ourselves to even something as fundamental as our name and the identity that we create around that in our life, right? With the, the idea of family, the idea of friends, the idea of who I am has to be imprinted on this planet or in this life with a certain set of attached values and those are material. But one thing I really um, sort of resonated with what you just said is at some point, you have to let go and that process for me manifested in the form of unlearning right unlearning certain ways i did things unlearning certain ways i lived life and why i did those things and that was for me i would say much more transforming than taking a new course because that's what you're told to do right learn more learn another instrument or take up another sport or take do this course in design or learn how to do social media marketing. And I realized, you know what, I I don't want to do more, I want to do less and start enjoying the fewer things I do more. Yeah, I think it's um, the joy of letting go. Yeah, you know, when we when we let go, and you know, you were kind of talking about things in this, you know, that spiritual realm. And you know, you think of, of life, right? I think we all know eventually we're going to have to let go of all of it. Mm, but I think scary, when you're right? young, 
It is scary, but when you're young in the first half of life or so, you know, we're about the same age. I'm 41. You told me you just turned 40. Mm. So we're we're about that same like midlife, yeah. the two of us together here. And I think as you get older, you just start to realize we are going to have to let go of everything, whether we want to or not. It's the way, right? This mm. is, we let go of the degrees and the achievements along with all the stuff, but it all, at the end, we all enter and exit this world the same way. No matter whether we're a king or a beggar, you're yeah. going to come in and you're going to go out the same way as everybody else. And so I think the desire to let go or unlearn, which I loved how you described that, I think it's a desire to kind of reveal ourselves. Sometimes I I think about, and my actual biggest attachment is so interesting. You went beyond the physical stuff really quickly. My biggest attachment has never been to physical stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, my biggest attachment has always been to achievements and accolades and praise and having people see me as this smart and accomplished woman like that's mm. really that's really where i get my identity and i letting go of some of that or trying to which is hard because it's it's intangible um that has been yeah. very transformative the journey of that and i will say i fail at it constantly yeah but i continue to try because I know in my heart of hearts that I am not my college degrees and I am not my productivity and I am not my wittiness and all of those things. I think we know that, that who we are really a lot of times is almost underneath all of these things we've put on top of ourselves, whether physically yeah. or in the realm of achievement. And it's and almost so like a monkey uh, yeah. holding onto branches because he's scared he's going to fall off, right? And one branch is this role, other branch is this role. And I know exactly where you're coming from because when you asked me before we started recording the, 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 the comedy aspect of my life, it was such a strong representation of who I thought I was that when people said, oh, you know, you're not funny, it felt like I was not good as a human being. But mm. there's so many... Um, things that we are encouraged to hold on to, right? Like when you say father, when you say mother, you take it so seriously. You take it up like, yeah, you know, if someone says, oh, your child's badly behaved, that shows that you're a bad parent. And in, in, yeah. in, and that's such a, um, it's such a normal, so-called normal way of uh, being viewed by people. But it's such a limiting way because, um, at least for me, Mm -hmm. When I stop calling myself a podcast or comedian and I stopped or rather I let people call me whatever they want to call me, but I don't let it go beyond a certain layer in my in, in, in my mind, then it's not really going to affect me because I'm still the same person. I'm just represent. I'm just sort of expressing my way in different uh, through different mediums. Right. And even something as precious as being a father to my little one. I, I mean, I can only do what I can do and there's no point trying to show that I'm a certain role to a certain group of people because they can, I, I'm the only one who has control over what I do, right? Not what they say or how they say because people will always say whether it's positive or negative. But I realized that kind of way of thinking, however hard it was and continues to be hard and as you said, we con constantly fail at it, it kind of shows us a side or rather another opening into something which is so limitless uh, beyond these roles and labels and identity and attachment, right? 
Yeah, I, I feel like we're kind of getting in the realm of, you know, I've read a lot of Buddhist, not a lot, mm. but I've read some Buddhist writings. And it is, it's this idea that really, you know, we've kind of constructed this identity, you know, yeah. and it has its roles and it has its names. And even as you were talking about being a podcaster and a comedian, you know, I, I immediately wanted to ask you, but don't you feel a pressure to define yourself? Mm. You know, and I think that's the struggle is truly, yes, we are all the same. We are all part of this great humanity and this great life and all of these things. And and there's no limits to it. And it in space or time, actually, if you want to get really into it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but there's but there is this I don't know if it's pressure or desire or need, maybe at some points of our lives to there's safety maybe in the labels and in the definitions and in the roles. And we cling to them, as you said. Mm. And, um, you know, it's maybe it, it allows us to actually get through the days, day to day living of life that we have to do to, to make things happen in our lives. Um, but it is, it's like this weird dance between how much do I identify in the role and then how much do I actually recognize that, you know, that's not really me and that's not really true. It's just the role or the label that I'm putting on this. And yeah. I think it's beautiful to, to recognize it because I know I would say 95% of my day I'm in that. It's sort of like the matrix, you know, the movie, the matrix mm -hmm. in a way we're sort of all in the matrix in a way. And, and the real life. You is... shouldn't say that too much because that's what Andrew Tate said and look where he is. <laughs> oh no. Yes. No, we won't say that. We won't say that. That's true. Oh, because um, you took that to another level anyway. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. But yeah, I know it's, um, yeah. No, and I'll it, tell you it, exactly what you just said. It, I mean, it, to, I, I didn't really, I don't remember too many details in the movie, but it is that, right? It's this, it's this construct that we are all sold into. And it's almost like when you take a step back saying, I don't think, I don't, I don't, I'm not entirely sold anymore. You're kind of then cornered saying, hey, 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 what's wrong with you? Is everything fine with you? Like, do you have some issues? It's, it's like um, a lot of Indians come to the US to follow their their whatever it may be their degree or the job and it's mm -hmm. an american dream right a lot of people from parts all over the world come to america for the american dream and then they come back with these roles that people are impressed by that wow he's a software engineer he's a ceo he's he's as you said right that you've got the big house you've got you um you live in a certain part or whatever it may be and then no one questions or rather no one respects or values who this person's become it's what they are uh, when it comes to like like I give you an example I lived in I lived in the US for about 4 years I came there for my undergrad um mm. and I lived in a small little college town in Oregon which is um, a town near Portland Oregon and okay. uh, yeah and I didn't go to a big college it wasn't the Ivy Leagues and I didn't and, and god god forbid don't ask my my GPA it was horrible <laughs> um I mean <laughs> I wasn't a good student. I just I, I realized now, and I look back now, just that's not something I enjoyed. Studying was not something I enjoyed, but I did it because, just like you, it was something I was told to aspire to have a good degree, or um, have the ability to study well, or, or whatever it was. And that was something because a deficiency in me was overcompensated with in these kind of aspects. And 
what I enjoyed about the U.S., my time there, were these experiences I had, these conversations I had at these little dive bars with a, a local who's from McMinnville, who I think owned a company or a cab driver or uh, friends I made in college. But that no one, uh, a few people do, but that's not seen as valuable. Uh, your degree is seen as valuable. What job that degree got you seen as valuable. How much that job makes for you is valuable. What you did with that money is valuable. And unless you spend time with a person, you never get to that. And that's sad, right? Because that's, and a lot of these people who I see spent years in the US have got all these right tick boxes ticked. Then you suddenly meet them 40 years later, they seem like lost because mm. those things are now being replaced by younger, richer, cooler people in the mm. community. And they almost seem irrelevant and it's really sad to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, um, you know, it's interesting you know, in my life, like recently, I I lost my dad very suddenly about a month ago. Oh, I'm so sorry. And I, oh, thank you. And I experienced kind of, you know, obviously I've been on the simplicity journey and all these things, but, you know, when you lose someone or you have something like really shocking like that happen, a lot of your values get realigned very quickly. Mm. And so how you described talking to the people in the small dive bars and having those human connections that you really valued. You know, I'm a very type A, high achiever type person. That is kind mm. of how I'm wired. I am productive. I can get a lot done. And this is, you know, I've been praised for this my whole life. I yeah. I was very good in school. Like I was getting all A's all the time, you know? Right. And um, suddenly it was like, you know, a friend would call and say, hey, I'm going to come over and bring you some tea. And even though I hadn't answered emails in five days, all I wanted to do was sit and talk to my friend and drink mm. tea and be with her. And it was very different than how I had been before where if a friend had come over with tea and I hadn't answered emails, I would sit and talk with a friend with the tea, but inside I'm like, I really need to answer those emails. Mm. And I would want to kind of, you know, I, I wanted to get back to the productivity and the empty inbox, because that's like what shows that I'm productive. And it was just really interesting to me that I sort of felt like I had this portal into how the other half lives, how the people who naturally, because I think there are some people who just more naturally are in the moment with yeah, people. Yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of us, it, it almost, I feel like kind of took this horrible thing for me to really experience just the beauty of an everyday moment of a small moment and realize that it just doesn't matter if I answer all the emails. It just doesn't matter if yeah. I, you know, I, I'm not launching my winter course that I normally launch every winter. And I always do like fall, winter, spring, fall, winter, spring. And I just couldn't get it together this winter. And in a way, and, that's respecting yeah. the memory of such an important person in your life, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it just sort of creates space um, to to kind of figure out. Because, like, I feel that I'm at this other, other juncture in my life and I'm so in it right now that I don't really know what it means. Like, I don't have any sage-wise lessons. Like, I want, of course, to get to the lessons because then I've proved I've learned something from this yeah, and yeah, I'm not yeah, at yeah. that point, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't have any lessons. I'm kind of just in this thing. But it is 
you know, like a different reality. And I feel like there's a letting go mm. in this that is related to what you're talking about, not just the letting go of my father, but the letting go of, you know, do I need to have the business that grows every year? Do we, do I need to always be publishing a blog post every single week? Do I need to have X number of clients? Do I need to fill the course with this many people three times a year? You know, all these things that these markers, you know, you, you said yeah. markers, these markers that seemed so important two months ago, a lot of them don't seem so important right now. You know, there's and, an interesting line yeah. that uh, there's, if you're interested in Audible, they have uh, this lecture and comments on certain uh, Zen passages by Osho. And mm. in one of those, he talks about just what you're saying, this need, need, need. And he says, there is no goal in life because the moment you set yeah. a goal, then you're either running towards it or away from it. And if you're running towards it, then you're seen as good, productive. You're seen as the, the person who's better. If you're going away from it, then you're seen as the bad person. You're seen as the person who's not productive, the person who's falling off the wagon. And that's something that we all are driven to, right? Like if you and I are in the same thing and you know, you're know um, you working towards your goal and I'm working away, we're constantly in, in, in our own minds and with each other and from a third person's point of view, you're the good worker, I'm the bad worker. You're the good person, I'm the bad person. And why, why, right? Why do we, we don't need mm -hmm. any of that because all that is something that we are creating stress on, right? Because we all we have right now is you and I just sitting here and talking and it's beautiful. But yeah. uh, the moment I put a certain goal or I take you away from a certain goal, it makes us, uh, makes our, it puts a barrier in our conversation or the way we interact as human beings. And if you magnify that onto a, on, on a social and a global scale, uh, it's, and, and, and there's something I'm noticing, you know, I'm not at all, going to say that I'm in a place where I judge and I say, oh my God, how are people like this? But one thing I've noticed is when I talk to certain people, especially high achievers or, well, so-called high achievers, right? Um, they're very high strung and, and it feels like every conversation, even though I'm trying to slow down and of course I've got a lot of examples of where I just don't let anyone else speak, but <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it right here. But... <laughs> It, it sounds like everyone's just trying to pile in as much they, as they know in as few minutes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, when you were mentioning the good and the bad, um, mm. I have a kind of a Zen teacher who I follow and work with. His name's Leo Babauta, and he writes a blog called Zen Habits, which is mm -hmm. I've read for many years. And um, I've had the chance to do a little more work with him recently. And he talks oh, nice. about constructs and how we're kind of living in these constructs where, you know, we set up these sort of like good and bad is one that we're all living in pretty much all the time. Yeah. Um, but you actually don't have to live in good and bad. You can out what's available outside of good and bad. You know, if, if things just are what they are and we don't label them good and bad, there's so much more possibility out in the world. And, you know, I aspire, I guess, to, you know, that's enlightenment or whatever you want to call it. I aspire to live in a way that I don't put the label good and bad on things and I'm not in the construct. And I try to catch myself when I find myself in that. But I, you know, I think what I've learned is that really it is the catching of yourself. It's 
noticing, oh yeah, I'm judging, mm. I'm labeling good and bad. And then you come back to it. And then 45 seconds later, you're doing it again. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. 45 seconds, that's it. a good break. Usually for me, it's yeah, the next yeah. second. <laughs> I know, Whew, I almost, almost got a whole minute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the practice of just pulling ourselves back to reality because reality is just what we're experiencing, the present mm. moment, you know? And you use that word, uh, I think, in your talk, the decluttering, right? And yeah. uh, we all, uh, I think now there's, as you said, there's a sudden drive towards that where everyone wants a peace, uh, a peaceful moment in their mind. They want a little silence. And then you have apps like Calm and you have Headspace or Mindspace, whatever it's called. Um, but even that's become a headlong rush in the the, the, the same <laughs> approach, right? It's like, I meditated for one minute, you meditated for 10 minutes, I'm better than you, right? It's, it's, yeah, yeah, so, I actually yeah. just got that Headspace app. Um, mm. One of my clients gave me a free trial and I'm actually right now, I need to decide in the next five days if I cancel it or keep it. But one of the mm. things about it, um, and I think it's great, I listened to some of the meditations, they were awesome. Mm. But it tr it tracks you and kind of like gives you points. Like, for... like a Fitbit, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, mm. I don't know how yeah. I feel about that, but yeah. I get why they're They all doing have a it. level program. Like, oh, you finish your 10, you yeah. unlock the 20 minute. I'm like, I don't want to yeah. unlock shit in my head, dude. I want to <laughs> unlock peace. <laughs> yeah, and it's just yeah. so interesting how that drive to achieve can show up in so many areas of our lives that yeah. seem you know, really good, like even exercise or eating healthy, you know, everything you can... is reward systems. Now it's this app that yeah. tracks you. Wow, you ate only 100 calories uh, today. Wow, you're going to starve yourself. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one, we'll just say if that app exists, it needs to not exist. That's a bad one. Yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just, it's, it's obviously a good thing to be uh, eating and exercising and eating healthy. Right. But I'm just talking about this underlying drive, right? Because you see it, I'm sure, with clients and um, and on a, on a daily basis, right? When people ask you, how can I simplify my life? How, how do I go down a path of minimalism or simplicity? Like even the fact that people are terrified with the word of minimalism, it's, it's almost like minimizing them. And I think that's what they're scared yeah. about, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there is this fear that, if we let go of things that we are somehow diminished. Mm. And I think that is something that you have to wrestle with because I often tell people, you know, when you're dealing with your stuff, you're not actually dealing with your stuff. You're dealing with your feelings about your stuff. And so, you know, it's not a teapot or it's not a pair of jeans. It's something about you. And you, and you know that because if you try to let go of it, you feel this like this pull toward it. Mm. And that's, that's the thing to dig in on it. Cause it, it doesn't necessarily mean you should let go of it. Right. I have stuff. I'm very glad I have stuff. I wouldn't be able to talk to you right now if I didn't have stuff. Yeah. Um, but why do we have it? I think that's, that's the question. And, um, you know, I think a lot of kind of what you talked about earlier with acquiring the nice car and the nice house and the degrees is because we think it sort of amplifies us in some way. And if we buy into that belief that, well, with my degrees and my stuff and my car and my 
nice house and and my three beautiful children and all this if that amplifies who i am then of course we're terrified to let go of any of it because if we've bought into the belief that this amplifies me if i let go of it then i'm diminished yeah why would you let and go that's of something scary. like that yeah because that's yeah. a little grip that little that little position in life that you've secured and letting go of that might yeah. make you invisible right yeah and, and that's really terrifying you know that's another strange thing right i i've taken up after many years and and i, I basically um i i've got this eye condition and i it's got it's got it's gotten worse over the years and i stopped i when i was young uh, young guys to play a little bit of golf with a little bit of my peripheral vision but that's gone gotten a lot worse now so i've got back to playing golf and i want to just understand and it's one of those things right taking up going back mm -hmm. to the things that why i'm doing as opposed to what i'm doing so it's fewer things but i'm enjoying them now but um it's 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 a very interesting approach to play a game when you can't see the ball right and yeah. there are a lot of blind golfers in the world who are fantastic and i'm just trying to get to a place where i can consistently hit the ball and there are some good days and there are many miserable attempts right mm -hmm. and uh, the reason i bring this example up is what happens on those days when i'm not i've had a bad session on the range or i just haven't haven't made peace with um a certain aspect of my um growth as a, in the golf swing the first thing i do is i come back home and instead of reflecting or whatever it may be or just forgetting about it i go online to see if there are new golf clubs available because i think <laughs> <laughs> touch you know fortunately i haven't bought uh, a new set but I, you know it's always <laughs> something i'll buy new golf balls or buy a pair of gloves or a, a, buy golf clubs and i'm just like this will make me better <laughs> you know and i think that's <laughs> something which <laughs> it's so stupid but i do it and um we do that sometimes when we failed or we're not succeeding which i i don't know if there is a difference but i feel there is is a, isn't a difference or if you look at it right they're both mm. good um I think we we add more stuff or like for instance if we got rejected by a girl or a boy we go buy new clothes thinking that oh you know I think that's another human need that your inadequacy can be compensated with a new token of worth Yeah you know I mean there's a very real uh re psychological physical reaction the it's a dopamine hit you know Yeah we feel bad we feel pain like there's a bit of pain that you're feeling when you're not hitting the ball and there's pain obviously that we're feeling if somebody that we desire doesn't desire us mm. and so when we feel pain we're we want to feel some type of pleasure some type of goodness and a really easy way to do that is to give your brain a hit of dopamine and a great way to do that is buy something almost anything yeah. you know and then also you can in in less healthy ways and i don't know if it's more or less healthy but you could drink you could yeah. do, do drugs you could go have sex with somebody you yeah. could eat a bunch of junk food you know all of that is going to give you this little hit of dopamine like yeah you got your reward you found a thing and and it's good for you um but obviously that's sort of a and it can create an addictive cycle that is yeah. really not healthy for us because what what it is is it's of us avoiding dealing with our pain Absolutely. you know our disappointment and so a, a deeper lot sense of, of rejection yeah. as well yeah yeah 
Yeah. That's what it is. I think many times when I realize that, hey, you're playing because you want to, right? Not because you're... Um, your wife said go play and that's why i love you or someone else mm-hmm. said you're going to be the best blind golfer in the country i'm playing because i want that independence of going out in the fresh air and hitting a few golf balls and then i remind myself of that the urge to shop or the urge to do this thing and and my wife's very very uh, aware of this right she runs a sustainable e-commerce uh, platform for slow living slow fashion ethical designers so when when i buy new stuff and i have a bit of a you know clothes thing uh let's call it a bit of a clothes thing and um <laughs> and you know when when i come back and she's like oh you don't don't buy things and you said it's interesting how we either shop or drink or go have sex and I, maybe i should try that she's like again i hope you're not shopping i'm like no no i've given up that i'm just going to go hook up with someone when i have a bad day at the range and i want to see that like, reaction <laughs> damn it oh go shopping <laughs> but it would be interesting she's like you know what go ahead it's much more sustainable <laughs> that is true it is more sustainable you're, you're not you're not polluting with plastic i mean you know, technically um <laughs> You know when 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 you think of this you know you're 41 I'm 40 and we kind of hopefully are a little wiser than what we were at in our teenage years so we want to apply this as parents right now you uh, mentioned that you have uh, three teenage children now that's a pretty volatile phase of their growth uh, emotionally yeah. uh, physically and also the environment right now with mm-hmm. of course a lot of parents talking about taking away smartphones and with social media etc cetera, etc cetera. how fair is it to apply what we are talking about to them and if it is fair how do you go about it because i'm taking notes <laughs> <laughs> you are at a good spot because you have a baby who will grow up knowing just what you are creating right now so you're in a good point okay um yeah. <laughs> i mean Thank fair you. fair is i mean i think as a parent you do what feels right to you You know, you raise your children in alignment with your values whatever they are and then when they're adults they'll probably reject all of them and do whatever they want and then maybe come back to them someday. Mm. Um so I think it's really about do you feel a pull toward simplicity and a pull toward less? And if you do, then you raise your children and you model that um for them the best that you can. Um you know, my kids, I guess in my own life They were about 2 when I started doing this so they were young so they really haven't known differently so hmm. you know they've never had in their memory I mean when they were toddlers they had tons and tons of toys but in their they don't really remember it um because I started decluttering when they were 2 or 3 oh, so okay. you know they're not used to closets that are bursting with clothes they're not used to so many books we can't fit on the shelf they're not used to so many toys they don't fit in the bin um So that's kind of the normal that they've grown up with. Um and they may grow up and decide that that's not how they want to live and they want to have lots and lots of stuff and that is okay because they've got to grow up and live their own life. Um uh, but I think you setting the model of how you want to live in all ways is probably the most important. And you know when I first started my business I used to go into people's homes in person. Yeah. and help them to clutter. And one of the things I noticed I I often had to have this tricky conversation with parents because they would say I you know I'd walk in the home and usually it's cluttered because that's why I'm there right there's yeah. there's clutter in the kitchen and the bedrooms and everywhere that's just how it was but often the parents would be like my kids are and I would hear them say horrible things about their children like they're pigs they're slobs they never put anything away and they'd show me the toy room and be like this is the problem and here I've walked through the whole rest of the house and I'm like 
these kids did not buy these toys themselves. They mm. don't own this house. You know, and I had to have this sort <laughs> of so, gentle yeah. conversation and said, you know, kids really pay attention to how we live. And if we are asking them to clean up their things and let go and simplify, it's only going to work if we do it too, mm. if we model the way. So a lot of times I tell parents, you know, don't really worry too much about your kids worry about yourself and how do you want to live and how many clothes do you want, you know, yeah, in the, yeah. and it sounds like with you and your wife, especially with the business she's in, I'm imagining are setting an example of simplicity for your child. And then, yeah, you mentioned, you know, smartphones and technology, and that's a, a whole other beast that's difficult for me to control as an yeah. adult. You know, I try to simplify it and I don't feel that I succeed a lot of the times. That's really hard. There are, I think for me, a lot less models of how to do that well. And, you know, I have three 13-year-olds. They have a phone that they share, although my one, my oldest of the triplets, he kind of always like takes everything for himself. So he kind of, he has the phone 97% of the time, oh, wow. his phone. Okay. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. He makes sure that he gets it most of the time. And the other two so are, have, are boys as well? Uh, one two boys one girl total so oh, okay yeah that's well, amazing so. having triplets i mean i just can't get I, and of course even in that there's a bit of a pecking order right like he feels like he's the oldest and yeah oh he is he is the oldest by one minute by one whole minute he's the oldest and he <laughs> that, acts like it <laughs> that's adorable <laughs> he, he yeah. like pushes the other two around and what you know he's very wonderful as well but even as a little guy he would take the toys and he was sort of the and he was also physically the biggest so that right. helped him that when helped, he was younger yeah. No, and but, that's a strange yeah. thing. I, I'm, I'm sometimes sitting and, you know, uh, Shasa's sleeping or she's rolling around on the bed. And suddenly I'm just looking at my phone and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm a bad parent. And I'm like, no, I don't think you're a bad parent. Like for me, my, my phone is pretty much my entire feedback, right? Like it reads out my emails. It reads out my text messages. My, my and I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this next to her because she'll get influenced. And I'm like, you know what? there's a point at which you got to kind of balance it, right? Like you can't yeah. uh, live in isolation without a phone because you are living in a city In you are connected with the world and you're, you're not, you know, if if I did decide to go to it, and sometimes you have that idea, I'm going to move to a farm and my wife and I like, <laughs> let's move to a place where it's, I'm like, I don't think I'll ever live because my entire life is in this chaos of a city. And yeah. if I've moved abroad, it's been in a city. And I don't think I'll do justice to farm animals and to the crops. And I'll probably end up killing everyone, including myself. Right. So we got to be realistic. You, you wouldn't make it through the winter. <laughs> I wouldn't make it through a day because have you milked the cow? How? <laughs> I need to Google it, but I don't have my phone anymore. Exactly. Because I need the YouTube cow milking video, but I can't bring it up because there's no internet out here. Yeah, it's absolutely, as you said, that's what's probably going to happen. Like, I probably want to even make it past the, the fence. Like, how do you open a fence, right? Yeah. So I think we, uh, sometimes in this, in, this, in this conversation with ourselves, we get, uh, we overcompensate. And I think that's the problem, uh, which is, 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 um, is, I think, inevitable right because you kind of want to be a better person and that's again like what we said earlier what you said is we try to do more when all you got to do is do less within the space you're with, you're in yeah yeah i think uh with anything you can go to extremes so 
Uh, my husband, when I was first decluttering, mm -hmm. I was really excited about it. I was on fire about it. So this is where the high achiever comes in. Yeah. So I'm going to be the best declutterer. I'm going to be the best <laughs> minimalist, the most minimal minimalist. But, you know, at a certain point, yeah. I think he actually said to me, he said, you kind, he said, you kind of have like a minimalism anorexia. Mm -hmm. It's like, you need to slow down. It's like, yeah. you need to stop. We don't need to get rid of everything. And I'm very glad that I had him to sort of balance me. And now, you know, I have a much more relaxed approach to it. But I remember, especially at the beginning, there was almost this like fervor. I mean, I was, I was a teacher. I, I was a school teacher. So teaching right. full time, I had three two-year-olds at the time. And then every spare moment I had, I'm decluttering and like so filling why? up the car. Why? why did you declutter? Let's maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That. So the main reason was because I wanted more time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was a working mom, full-time working mom, you know, teaching all day, coming home, three two-year-olds in the evening, get them in bed by whatever, eight o'clock. And then you only have maybe an hour before you have to get to bed to go you know, do it the next day. And I found that I felt I was spending a lot of that hour dealing with stuff and picking things up. And because I'm type A, I was very organized and, but you can organize yourself into a trap. So mm. I had, I'm not joking. I had bins that would be labeled girl bibs, boy bibs. Like my kids cared if their bib was a girl bib or a boy bib, you know, but th like that degree of micromanagement mm. was mm. kind of what I was doing with everything. And I had to be the one to put everything back and control it. So it was sort of this, and it was exhausting and I didn't have the, the energy to do it anymore. And so um, it was Christmas time and my kids just received a lot of gifts from their grandparents, which was really overwhelming to me because if mm -hmm. you're the type of person who's going to micromanage everything, you're now not suddenly there's gifts. Yeah. <laughs> right. All this new stuff became, you know, like new jobs that I had to do. And I, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm exhausted by it. And so a friend introduced me to the idea of minimalism. And so I started reading about that. And it was funny to me that I had never... I had never considered just letting go of the stuff. I had always thought, well, I can organize it, manage it. I'll put it in a spreadsheet. I'll color code it. I'll label it. And I was good at that because I'm really organized. But it was, again, it was sort of that like organization is good, but there becomes a point where it tips into actually kind of you become a slave to it. Yeah. And so I was sort of in that point. And so um, I wanted some free time. I wanted some freedom to sit down at the end of the day and relax and read a book and not be managing my stuff so, mm. so much. So that was really the motivator. So it was sort of a combination of being a full-time working mom, holidays, and like my type A personality kind of just couldn't, like it was sort of a, like a breaking point, like kind of everything we've been talking about where you suddenly desire the simplicity. And so when I started reading, you know, people who are actually doing this, it gave me just a way and it seemed at the time it seemed such a huge aha it was a huge aha and i felt such an immense freedom when i let go of things because i'm like i no longer have to wash that i no longer have to put that away you know it was just yeah. this the sense of freedom so that was that was the why i guess behind it originally Do you sense that there was a lot uh, and not just with you but um with with clutter or more there's a sense of control, right? That you feel mm -hmm. like you have more control over your life. 
when you have more stuff because you kind of rep, uh, that the, the stuff represents how much you more you've done for yourself right whether it's more clothes mm-hmm. for your kids whether it's more uh, money in the bank so in some sense decluttering is also letting go of control in some way it's letting go of control but also this so it can be a catch 22 and it can be a way to get control at mm. the same time so exactly. when i right. yeah right. yeah you know, a different kind I, of control a different kind of control right um, one is a kind of control which is respected or validated the other one is more internal it's about i have a space i've created which is for me right which a place where which you operate yeah. from right yeah yeah it can be that kind of control but it also can be you know how my husband said it was sort of like minimalist anorexia mm, mm. um i think you can take it too far to where that becomes and for those those months when i was first doing it i'm so glad that i did it obviously it created this whole other life for me mm. but i look back and it was there was an element sometimes of almost like a manicness <laughs> to it like i have to go through i have to get rid of this i have to decla- you know and it you was you were overcompensating basically you went to I the was yeah, yeah i was overcompensating exactly like what you were saying i could have done it i could have still gotten to the same place mm. by probably going about it maybe a different way that would have maybe been a little slower and a little more intentional but it was yeah it's interesting to look back and see you know was that the healthiest way to go about it I, i don't know i mean it wasn't bad i wasn't hurting anybody um but yeah i think and and another thing i think too is sometimes we think once i've decluttered everything and i've simplified my physical possessions then i will have peace and i had a client of mine recently say this to me you know she is of retirement age and wants to enjoy her retirement and she has a house you know like many retired people they have a house they've lived in for decades full of stuff yeah. and she kept saying i can't enjoy my retirement until the house is decluttered and i'm trying to help her see like you can do both you can enjoy this time and declutter your home like it's not that one has to come before the other it's the goal and, right yeah 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 and eventually she said but that's how you did it and i realized that the way i've kind of always told my story is I decluttered everything and then I felt at peace. And it's this uh, sort of like nice wrapped up story that's not actually really true because once you declutter your stuff, you realize you still might be trying to fuel your sense of self-worth through other things and maybe part of it was the decluttering was what you were trying to use to prove your self-worth. You know, it's like you're still going to have to reckon with with something inside of you even if you got rid of every single thing you owned. um that's not going to cleanse your spirit necessarily like there's still work yeah. to be done it's it's almost like the why why are you doing it right if the why is not the right or not even right if the why is again from the same premise of achieving something then it's the same cycle again yeah. it's instead of more you're going to be like see i have less than her i'm better or i'm more than her it's better and it's it's such a weird thing because it's 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 about almost decluttering your mind before you de- declutter anything on the outside and and that's such a strange thing to tell someone right you study or tell kids you have to achieve you have to become the best student here to get the best job then you know what start decluttering take it all away <laughs> they're like what <laughs> but if you right? actually tell them from a young age that you know what more isn't better but what 
you know and how you know it and why you use it and why you know it that's more important i think that's a better place to start with because then they don't have to go this entire route and then realize at whatever age that you know what i already knew this in some way of course i it wasn't appreciated that's why i got more but now what i actually appreciate is less than what i have and that's good yeah and i think a lot of that too you know my kids are 13 so i see that desire you talk about to you know get the best grades and all those things and and i very intentionally try not to put that pressure on my children yeah but what's really been surprising to me is the amount of stress they seem to put on themselves mm. to get all a's to you know i've got to study for the test and and all of this and i'm just thinking where where is this coming from because i mm. thought i had kind of intentionally all the things i've said and tried to model are you know you are valuable try your best but That's... we love you for you but i think maybe it's the societal messages or maybe it is just our own personal journey we all have to go on we all have to kind of go and i i see my kids doing it and i you know that's them they have to go through this and figure this out themselves i can't you can't give someone a transformation for them you know like they, they and have that's to go through the this. weird part which must be hard for you uh, or for me as for anyone is we end up doing this uh, whether we like it or not is thinking that our version of the story is how it should be yeah whether it's decluttering whether it's unlearning whether whatever it may be and you tell someone thinking and meaning the best but they're like no that that i and i think that's the most difficult thing uh, especially when it's your child or it's someone really close to you to acknowledge that they have to go through their journey whether it's you know a therapy or whether it's going through a cycle of working in the material kind of thing it's the more you try to put your version of the truth or your version and and, and sort of put your perspective on them the more it's rejected and i'm sure for you being in a place where you're trying to help people simplify their life and you try to do it uh, in the way which of course i'm sure you see it as the right way and then they start rejecting it you're like but why right yeah yeah and i've also you know i i have a deep appreciation for people who live differently than me um my grandmothers you know of uh, and and I'm sure yours as well went through and I don't know the great depression in America I'm guessing was probably also in India was that worldwide did you well we didn't 1920s? have the great, we didn't have the depression but it was pretty depressing throughout because you know it was yeah. it, <laughs> it was it was it depressing was kind of anyway a, I mean it was under british occupation and Okay. I mean, yeah. the under British, I, I wasn't there, so I don't want to sort of kind of um, <laughs> falsely recall anything. But uh, post-partition, you know, there was a lot of turmoil. The country was split into three. There was a lot of families torn apart, a lot of... Mm. But generally, like, you know, India from the sort of 50s through uh, the 90s was a very sort of closed-off economy, you know. So uh, things were difficult. Uh, yeah. things were not as easily available and that mindset is there the scarcity mindset is there in indians from yeah. that time including uh, my my grandparents are no more but uh, my, my parents have that in some way and i see them buying stuff and i mean i buy it as well. i buy 
stuff as well. I, we've already spoken about my my problems, but <laughs> but my <laughs> parents buy yeah my 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 golf clubs and my hoodies and let's not go there anyway. Um, <laughs> so but yeah, my parents do that like and, and nothing wrong because that's the generation which and my dad was saying at one point when my so we have the currency is called the rupee right and mm-hmm. for every rupee he earned he used to get taxed almost ninety nine percent of that because that was the way oh. the government yeah so we I mean I remember when I was a kid. Um, I used to go for an eye check up to the city in uh, India where they had a big hospital and that place was a port so they used to get a lot of this stuff which was illegally brought into the country like cans of Coca-Cola and mm. I used to like oh I need some I, I used to come back with like 10 cans and that was like my hoard and, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah so that was a thing then you know like getting access to stuff and that generation of Indians who moved to America in the 70s and the 80s did have that. So for them, a big house and a big dining table are big things. And you're right, like for your yeah. grandmother and, 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 for, and for us now, I mean, even though I grew up, uh, I was born into an India which is not as global and not as globalized and connected to the outside world, I did live with that need to want more. But now at the age of 40, there's a chance for me to turn it around. And yeah, that's you, so yeah. interesting. The yeah. you know the generational values are very similar under different political circumstances, but very similar in that. Um, my grandmother, she died last year. She was ninety eight, so you know she lived a, a very long life. But she had spent the last eighteen years of her life living in kind of a, a basement apartment in one of my aunt's homes, mm. and so I ended up staying with my aunt overnight because I needed to catch a flight. And I stayed in my grandmother's apartment down in the basement. And my aunt had, she had not cleaned anything out because they were very close and she couldn't bring herself to let go of the things. And so here I am in a very cluttered environment because my grandmother loved things and she saved, you know, like a tissue, like Mm. a Kleenex. If it wasn't really used, she would save it, right? Because Mm. you could use it again. So that's, you know, the level that we're at. And so I remember being in the bathroom and just looking around and there's, you know, all these different tubes of chapstick and hand lotion. And there's just so many, it's so cluttered. And I felt so close and loved by my grandmother. In this environment, that most people would think someone like me would hate it. I loved being around her things and looking at the stacks of papers she'd saved. And it made me feel so close to her. Mm. And and I thought, wow, you know, I, I thought a few things. One was there is something about stuff that can connect you to other people. And that's, that is a real thing. And also I thought, well, oh gosh, when I die, nobody's going to see all my tubes of chapstick and all mm. of my Kleenexes because I don't have those things. Like I have one tube of chapstick that I'm using. And I don't know, it just made me think, you know, here I am espousing the glories of decluttering and letting go. And I believe very strongly it's good for me to live that way. I live better that way. And I think a lot of people do. But also you can live a beautiful, full, rich life and have lots of things and that's okay too. You know, we talked about right and wrong. There's no right or wrong, you know, way to do any of this. It's what makes you feel good. And I think the reason that I felt so close to my grandmother there is because this was authentic to who she was. Mm-hmm. It was authentic to who she was to to save every little thing and not waste anything and reuse every little container of yogurt to put pencils in. 
this was her way and it was true to her. And so being around it felt wonderful to me. So I, I don't really know the moral of that story. No, I love but, the I love that because it's yeah. such an important thing about who you are as an individual and whether I call my mom a squirrel because she kind of does similar things. She kind of uh, yeah. suddenly open a drawer which you haven't opened and like what's in there? She's like, don't open that. If you open that, it's like it's she's got all sorts of stuff because my sister lives in Singapore and she's going buy all these things and she's she just loves uh, squirreling away stuff and and but that's her, you know. And if I go. And I and I'm, who am I to go impose my uh, will or my views? And and that's and, and such a th- and I'm sure we must have been in that room with the smells and the the the, yeah. the scents. And it's kind of like a little like a warm hug from yeah. someone you love so much. And I totally get it. And I and you know I have a habit of doing that as well, like keeping like a tag of you know something that, like I was gifted many years, but I keep the tag because I might not be able to see it or read it later, but I suddenly be in my drawer going, what's this tag? And I throw it away. But in my memory, that tag represented a part of my life or something that, something kind that someone did to me. And yeah. you're right. These things are so important, but it's the the reason behind it because you can declutter yeah. and have an empty house and say, oh, look at this Swedish plan that it's a minimalist design. <laughs> but who are you doing it for is the question, right? Right, right. And I think you're so, so right about that. It's all about why. Why are we keeping it? You know, that little tag could be very important to you or that card or that letter can be very important to you. And I think that's important for people, you know, listening to realize is that I definitely don't espouse getting rid of things for the sake of getting rid of things. Decluttering for the sake of decluttering is is just as harmful as acquiring for the sake of acquiring. You know, I, I need to, that's a good quote. Well, I need to like yeah, I need to write that down, decluttering for the sake of decluttering. <laughs> well, it was heard first here on the Sophie Rao show. <laughs> heard first here. Just as harmful as acquiring for the sake of acquiring because, yeah. you know, we should always be asking why. Why are we acquiring and why are we letting go? And as long as we know why and there's a good reason there, I think both are fine in equal measure. Brilliant. Rose, that was well said. And um, I'm glad you got a quote out of this conversation. I know. I'm going to write. I have a sticky note right here. I'm writing it down (laughs) as soon as we're off the air. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for joining me on um, this conversation, having this chat with me and sharing your insights and your journey and your experiences and your knowledge. And also, yeah, everything that we've had today. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was absolutely a pleasure. Lovely. Take care. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.